Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. All right, everybody, it is Steve with Real Progress in Action and the Rogue Scholar way out of time. Normally, I'm doing it about 12 hours the other direction and usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But because I had to ghost out on a Monday uh, stream, I'm here in the middle of the night getting ready to talk to you guys about something that has happened here recently and um, an ongoing struggle, shall we say. Um, regarding our efforts to support national, national Medicare for all. And whether anybody was against this or for this or anything else, we would be for it. This is what we stand for. And we've built a coalition and we're working with people to try and get the word out. Um, but one of the things that happened was that I spoke on a panel in particular um that had two very fine ladies and i'll you can find the video for yourself i don't want to pull them into the stream uh, they don't need to be in the stream they did their work um they support my position 100 percent. both of them are doctors particular uh strong advocates former uh kind of state by state approach uh for one of them uh who is no longer uh in that camp and is wholeheartedly in the national only camp um, and for good reason once you understand the funding mechanism even though you can go and tie a gordian knot you can create a rube goldberg machine and create some fancy spaghetti way of trying to do something that is one too complicated two absolutely not duplicable across all 50 states and uh, really, quite frankly, just a spaghetti logic, which is typical of neoliberal, um, neoliberal pay force, right? It's wackadoo kind of stuff that we've been dealing with, which is the whole reason real progressives and others that have been fighting for MMT for so long as activists, um, you know, I, including the original development team, people like that that understand the currency issue or currency user dynamic and understand the precarity of trying to do things at a state level. I have done countless podcasts solo with experts. I've had Fadl Kaboob and Bill Black on talking about the race to the bottom. I have had uh, Yeva Narcissian on talking about critiques of MMT and really dressing it down. We're gonna talk a little bit about her podcast in particular, because she was one of the panelists in one of the, uh, the uh, Medicare for All, uh, National Medicare for All uh, Summit that just happened this past weekend. Um, but we also have you know folks like Bill Mitchell, who straight up are like, no. Warren Mosler, who says straight up, this is not 
possible to afford this way, especially across 50 states. And moreover, understanding the national Medicare for all is really a deflationary event, deflationary. So because of the way that, you know, the economics of it all run together, national has a lot of other angles to it that make it very desirable. Okay. Very, very desirable, namely because no one's left behind, right? That's the key. It's not Medicare for some, it's not healthcare for some, it's Medicare for all. As you've seen with I mean, people throw up marijuana, um, I think there's what, 18 states, Guam and DC, if you want to count them, um, but 18 states in total that have, you know, legislation on the books. The other, uh, well, I don't know, 50 states, 18, the other, uh, what is it, uh, 32 states, uh, you know, it's not legal, 32 states that are kind of left. And I know Colorado is loving their bud. I know Washington state loving their bud i know new york city loving their bud but all those other states they're still in the business of locking up black and brown people poor people anybody smoking chiba they're still getting locked up why is that because once others get the weed once they get the bill once they get the benefit they stop fighting for everyone it's human nature sadly but this is what happens in the real world, they check out. They stop fighting for others because they're enjoying themselves. They're going to the boutique clubs. They're getting their herb on. And quite frankly, the push has diminished. You don't hear it nearly as much. And it's a shame because it's, it's incredibly important. But that same model that is used as the example for looking at healthcare is a cautionary tale, isn't it? The people that have it love it. The people that don't have it are suffering, right? And this kind of pilot approach is not the way to do this. It's not the way to do a job guarantee. No, thank you, Cory Booker. It's not the way to do really anything like that. So, you know, I had Fadal and Bill Black on. Yeah, Bill Black it, it talked about using incubators and things like that to, to figure out what works, what doesn't work, and things like that. The one thing you can't do with something like Medicare for all is you can't simulate the federal government spending without limit on healthcare. You can't simulate the federal government having no budgetary constraints for healthcare because it's like, yeah, it's a public infrastructure, but it's also like an automatic stabilizer where you have no real control of the flows because. The flows go as the flows need to go. As people get sick, there's more money spent. If there's a pandemic, more money is spent. If there is, you know, people suddenly healthy out of nowhere, then suddenly money gets spent less. Maybe it's, you know, it's just not there, but it's spent as needed. You, you know, it's not like, up, oh, it's March and we're out of Medicare dollars. We can't spend anymore. No, it, does, it doesn't work that way. And so for a national health service type thing, if you were really being honest, what you would realize is that the federal government has no means to live within. It can spend what it needs to as long as the real resources are there. And so when you think about something as massive and as important as uh, health care, and you think about the fact that it's not just enough to have a piece of paper that says you have health care, you've got to have enough doctors, you've got to have enough nurses, 
got to have enough hospital beds. You've got to have enough treatment facilities. You've got to have ambulances. You've got to have all kinds of stuff, clinics and local communities so people aren't driving 100 million miles away, right? All this stuff takes an incredible amount of money. Some of this stuff could be done at the state level. Like, let's go ahead and prep out. Let's go ahead and commission some new projects to build out some new hospitals. Let's build out some uh, clinics uh, in the area. Let's, you know, incentivize people in our communities to become doctors. Maybe we fund extra things, target the funds. But overall, when you think about illness and just let's take the pandemic, I, you know, I know we don't want to go hyperbolic, but since we just came out of almost a three-year pandemic, there's no reason that we can't talk about the pandemic, right? Pandemic is kind of a great idea when you think about, oh my God, we've got this massive thing. What now? Well, you know, when they were trying to push testing to the States, how well did that work? It worked like shit, really, right? States can't build supply chains around the globe to get things. They would need things manufactured locally. They don't have the buying power of the federal government. They're a small entity. So naturally, there's all these factors that play into it. Okay. But one of the most important ones, the really super most important ones, are laid out in an article by Jonathan Cadman. It's on Real Progressives, and um, we'll go ahead and get to that here in just one second. I want to talk through this. I'm going to actually let it play for you. It's actually read by Jonathan, and I want you to hear um, his article. And it's really quite amazing. So if you think about this, this right here is going to be our article for now. And I hope that you'll enjoy the listen because this is vital. And he titled it The Pied Piper of State-Based single-payer initiatives. So let's listen to Jonathan here real quick. The Pied Piper of State-Based Single-Payer Initiatives. Like Julius Caesar on the Ides of March, California's AB-1400 Care Bill was killed in the State Assembly without a vote, murdered by its primary sponsor. Its doom was inevitable and foretold by multiple prophets. Much, Much has been, been written, written on why the idea of fighting for universal single-payer on a state-by-state basis is ill-advised from a conceptual and economic standpoint. But the advocates of this approach may not realize that it is also a terrible strategy. Anyone who believes such a fight can be won at the state level has failed to comprehend the scope of the forces arrayed against such an agenda and the limitations of state government power. The for-profit healthcare industry is a monster of epic proportions it can only be subdued from the high ground of the federal government. If that monster is to be brought low at all, the first blow must also be the coup de grace across all 50 states. High-level federal officials such as Nancy Pelosi are acting in bad faith when they encourage single-payer advocates to fight at the state level. Hmm. They wish to divert momentum to a movement that they know will never succeed and away from pressuring them to move forward with the only viable option. Those in positions of power generally know that it's national single-payer bust, and it's time for the rest of us to get with that program. A glance at the Fortune 500 list can really paint a picture here. It's hard to miss the fact that the healthcare industry is heavily overrepresented at the top rungs of the ladder. These are not merely large and profitable corporations. They are vertically integrated monopolies and oligopolies. CVS Health is CVS Caremark Aetna, 
a giant in health insurance and pharmacy benefits, as well as corner drugstores. United Health Group is both a mega insurance giant and the owner of Optum Health, which is a pharmacy benefit manager, health data analytics firm, and the owner of a vast network of clinics and practices involved in every area of healthcare. Not far down the list, we find Cigna Express Script and Humana Kindred, as well as Anthem, BCBS, and Centene, all massive holding companies whose operations go far beyond insurance. Also in that very top tier are the nation's largest drug distributors, such as Amerisource Bergen, McKesson, and Cardinal Health. In that same tier, we find we also find the Hospital Corporation of America, HCA, the owner of the largest network of private hospitals in the country. That company happens to belong to the family of former Republican Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist of Tennessee. The degree of vertical integration, vast wealth, and total control these companies wield would make the robber barons like Rockefeller, Mellon, and even J.P. Morgan green with envy. These are titans of unimaginable scope and power plugged into critical infrastructure at every level of the healthcare system. To a large degree, they aren't merely part of the healthcare system, they are the system. They are the clinics, they are the payment system, they are the administrators of public programs like Medicare and Medicaid, they are the hospitals, they are your health data, they are the distributors of drugs and medical devices, they are the suppliers of medical equipment. Their hands are in the till in half a dozen places for even the simplest of your healthcare visits. The critical mistake of reducing the scope of the fight to the state level is that the vast power of these institutions remains undiminished. Unlike a state government, their power and reach does not end at the state line. They will never stand by and allow single-payer healthcare to pull the emergency brakes on their gravy train. The shift to a state-based approach is the equivalent of setting aside a proper umbrella in a torrential rainstorm and attempting to shield oneself instead with a cocktail umbrella. The state-by-state -state crowd's favorite proof of concept is the Canadian Medicare. But the U.S. in 22 is not Saskatchewan in 1948. That didn't even become anything resembling what we would consider universal public health coverage until 1968, which seems problematic in its own right. It is not even the U.S. in 1945 when Truman's national health legislation was ruthlessly crushed in Congress. The massive corporate and institutional forces that advocates of single payers face today would have been unimaginable to their forebears back then. The notion that even the most powerful of U.S. state governments can stand against these interests is not at all realistic. State legislators can be purchased quite legally at a far lower price than their federal counterparts, and these corporations and their organized proxies have the ability to funnel astronomical amounts into the campaign coffers and PACs through hundreds of subsidiary corporations. Mm. They can spend millions on an ad blitz of every major communications medium without making a significant dent in their bottom line. In the unlikely event that a public relations campaign fails, even a low-key capital strike could cripple any state's healthcare system within days, mm. far more effectively than the 1962 Canadian doctor's strike did. The doctor's strike took time, coordination, and resources to organize. A single one of these massive corporations could muster a retaliation or countermeasure, vastly larger in size and scope with a snap of a CEO's fingers. Even subtle price increases in various fees and services on the healthcare delivery end, passed off as normal business, can quickly break through the fiscal space created by the new taxes proposed in the CalCare legislative package, forcing a repeal. 
Unlike the federal government, mm. states have to fund all of their liabilities with revenues, which puts a hard constraint with no room for error. That weakness is something these monsters are well positioned to turn to their advantage, and it's not the only one. The healthcare industry has long exploited the physical barriers to state authority as leverage points. That unilateral constraint cripples the ability of any state government to impose its will on companies that can cross state lines freely. Bam. Most of these corporations have entire divisions dedicated to exploiting the discrepancies between state regulations to extract profit and pressure state governments to deregulate, referred to in the business as regulatory arbitrage. The use of such limitations to play one state against another has long been a standard practice in large corporations, resulting in a race to the bottom in terms of regulations and taxation. Boom. Healthcare corporations, like their counterparts in heavy industry and fossil fuels, generally have massive legal departments well-practiced in exploiting the laws of the land to challenge in court any state laws or regulations they find unfavorable to the conduct of their business and can afford to outspend and outlitigate most state governments. Of particular relevance here are elements of the Constitution itself that limit the rights of states to impede interstate commerce or to discriminate against people traveling from state to state. Since the early days of this country's history, corporations have used these laws and their own deep pockets to curtail the ability of states to interfere with their ability to do pretty much whatever they wanted. The funding of a program like CalCare or Washington is also constrained by state boundaries and residents. The tax base for a single-payer plan is the residents of that state and nobody else. Meanwhile, the Comey Clause in Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution prevents states from discriminating against or denying fundamental rights to citizens of other states. This means that while residents of a single state would be expected to fund the program, nothing would stop residents from any other state from crossing state lines for their health care and leaving straight afterwards. To attempt to prevent such a thing would be, in any case, morally repugnant to anyone who believes in health care as a fundamental human right. But this strategy, once again, runs up against the problems of hard budgetary limitations for a state as a user rather than issuer of currency. It would be as though everyone in Europe went to Germany for their free health care, but only German citizens were responsible for funding of their taxes. It also runs up against the more fundamental fact of limiting the size and scope of the solution in no way reduces the size and scope of the problem. Mm. The leadership, the leadership of, both of both parties are well aware of this. When, when powerful, powerful California, California Democrats, Democrats were encouraging progressives to pursue single-payer single at the state level, it was a Pied Piper strategy meant to undermine and destroy the movement. Mm-hmm. Newsom and the state Democratic leadership have a strong financial interest in making sure neither state nor national single-payer is ever actualized. He made it part of his platform because he was confident it would not get through the state assembly. Nancy Pelosi, in addition to having a strong party fundraising interest in these giants, Mm -hmm. has staked her entire career on the Affordable Care Act legislation. She is heavily invested in propping up that bailing system and considers the movement for a national single payer to be an attack on her legacy. Mm. If those two are encouraging a state-based approach, it is fair to assume that they do not have the best interests of single payer advocates in mind. They have multiple gatekeepers and fail-safes in place to make sure it never passes and multiple options to crush it if it ever does. Their priority is to get progressive activists to stop causing PR problems for them. Diverting momentum and popular demand into a doomed-to-fail strategy is an ideal way to achieve that. 
the effectiveness of that strategy is apparent when looking at the fractured state of the single-payer activist community. Amen. Advocates for state-based initiatives asserted from the beginning that their goal was a national single-payer health care system and continue to do so. They insisted that the state-based initiatives were meant to complement rather than replace the national campaign. That fight on all fronts claim now appears to have been disingenuous. They have hijacked national single-payer advocacy platforms to promote their local agendas, diverted activist energy away from the only viable path forward, and in many cases have been directly hostile to those who chose to continue to Big pursue time. at the federal level. With the critical flaws in that strategy mentioned above, it is hard to imagine them doing more harm to the cause of single-payer health care if they had been receiving a paycheck from one of the industry giants. Anyone who thinks even the most powerful of states can stand alone against the inconceivable might of the forces, of the forces who benefit, benefit status, status quo, quo is not is living, not living in, the in the real world. The only, the only way, way the citizens of this country will see the sort of health care that everyone else considers a basic human right is if people across this country and every state and territory band together and demand it from the only source capable of delivering it, the federal government in Washington, D.C. It is the only entity in this country and perhaps even the world more powerful than the group of vertically integrated monopolistic giants and the massive Wall Street hedge funds invested in them. And while these forces may have captured much of government and bent it to their own interests, elected officials are still vulnerable to a truly mass movement of people who refuse to take no for an answer. An unending line of torches and pitchforks demanding give us health care or else can still intimidate even the most unethical of politicians. Federal, Federal government is what granted these private sector giants the power to extort vast amounts of money from the public unchecked and is the most important wellspring of their power. Federal government is the only thing that can take it away. Mm. The primary downfall of previous efforts was the doom of California's AB 1400. Advocates massively underestimated the power of the forces arrayed against single payer in the U.S. This kind of massive change that would undermine the current power structure to such a degree cannot be done piecemeal or incrementally. The vast resources that would be mustered at the first sign of trouble would stop progress in its tracks before it ever got traction. Only a unified policy implemented simultaneously across all states and territories can get the job done. And only the federal government with its power to deficit spend can pull it off. The one thing they can bring that about is a unified effort across the entire country of mm. all of its people refusing to be distracted or discouraged, regardless of what state they live in. Such a movement cannot afford to get sidetracked by shiny objects tangled just out of reach. Shrinking the scope of the agenda. Okay, I'm not sure what happened to that, but that's okay. We're going to get right back to it over here. Folks, I think that it's quite obvious, which should be quite obvious anyway. Um, that what we've got is a far more complex system, far more complex system, far more complex problem than just emotionalism. Every time we've talked about this, and I'm going to be very blunt, my tagline on Twitter is austerity is murder. For the last seven years, anybody that's ever followed me for even two seconds knows that I have talked about the paying for things with taxes and trying to chase pay-fors has been a murder by policy. 
and those who advance those kind of pay-fors have blood on their hands. For seven years, I have said this generically to anyone and everyone who states all these silly, nonsensical liberal claims that we have been dealing with now for the entire neoliberal era, okay? This fundamental fight that we have been trying to disabuse the world of, that we don't need to be worrying about how to pay for stuff if you're looking at it at the federal level. I have been extremely explicit, and I've gotten experts like Yeva Narcissian, Fadal Kaboob, Bill Black, Randall Ray, Warren Mosler, Bill Mitchell, and others to weigh in and say this. Big-time activists in the, uh, the MMT community and the Medicare for All community, Jeff Ginter, stands dead set opposed and wrote a lengthy, folks, it's so lengthy it would take probably a half hour for the reader to go through Jeff Ginter's article. It is so well-researched, so well-documented that you would have to literally be like a child that you were told, I'm sorry, but I'm not buying you that car at the store today. And they literally hold their breath and turn red and drop on the floor and bang, 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 and yell and cuss and get in their little soirees and group up on a Twitter feed and say, yeah, screw them. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, why don't they just leave us alone? Not, I don't know who they're talking about because we're not talking about anybody. We're talking about this push for state by state, which before Group A did it, Group B tried to do it. Sandy Darity, God knows Sandy Darity is one of the best people out there. And Sandy Darity even is saying, stop pushing for state-based piecemeal reparations. That ain't going to get it done because it's intended. Now, just taking the reparations perspective, it's taking that and it's intentionally diluting it. Okay. Well-funded groups out there. well-funded groups have put their boot on anyone that dare, dare speak out against their pet project. And then they get in their little Twitter things like, oh, we're in solidarity, aren't you? Yeah. Oh my God, I think we should push for states. Well, guess what? We agree. Everybody should be organizing at the local and state level for national Medicare for all. Everyone should be organizing and rallying together, setting up mutual aid, setting up real honest-to-God demonstrations, direct action, and fighting for real, becoming an inconvenient nuisance to the comfortable people of the world, okay? Unfortunately, the perversion of this situation is that because we recognize the funding mechanism, of the federal government, the currency issuing federal government. And yes, you can spaghetti logic a couple states together, but the fact of the matter is, you gotta pay for it with taxes. And when you do that, it's not a right and it can be taken away and it can get screwed and it can go bankrupt and they can make the, the ledgers look how they want the ledgers to look. And let me just tell you the article you just heard from Jeffrey, uh, you know, uh, Jonathan Cadman, absolutely important and jeffrey ginter i was blending my jeff's jeff and get you know jonathan the fact is is that this is not steve grumbine coming up with this 
but these pervs have gone and put a, a bullseye on my forehead because they didn't like the fact that I said people have blood on their hands. People do have blood on their hands. When you push neoliberal plans, neoliberalism is the fundamental vehicle by which more people have died in this world than any war, period. Austerity is murder, and it has been used all around the world. And when you balkanize and you slice groups up into little pocket A, I'm going to fight for my backyard, I'm going to fight in my backyard, you realize in the United States right now, only 26 states out of 50, 26, have a ballot initiative. That's it. The rest of the states don't have a shot. Okay? They can't just ballot initiative up. They can't do it. So, you know, I started thinking to myself, well, you know, why, why would it be, why would they target Steve Grumbine? I'm just an activist, right? I'm an activist. Why wouldn't they target, you know, their MMT, you know, economists that are saying the same thing? I don't want them to. I think they should stop being like children, stomping their feet and getting everyone together. Tag. Don't you think this Georgia tag? Don't you think this sort of tag? Everybody tag, 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 tag. Because we're just in solidarity. We're so solid. Solid. Solid as a rock. Ah, you know, whatever the bullshit is, man. You know what I'm saying? I am tired. Because what's happened is, is that you got to find your fall guy. Another neoliberal trick. Neoliberals of the world, they do this because they don't have a case. So instead of addressing directly Yeva's points, Fadal and Bill Black's points, Warren Mosler's points, Bill Mitchell's points, all the other articles' points. They know that they can obscure their ignorance and obscure their twisted spaghetti logic by pointing at one individual, and that's me, a father, a full-time employee, a guy that is old and who has been through more hell in his life than anyone could imagine and trying for the last seven years without a day off, fighting for a progressive agenda, a Green New Deal, Medicare for All, ending student debt, you name it, being tireless and going on any show that I'm asked to be on, going and doing shows, interviewing all day long. And I'm their target. I want you to realize how perverse, sick that is. And it's not just that, it's the other people, those folks that decided that they were going to unite around anti-Steve perversion let's deal with policy i don't like you any more than you like me so we're even right if you can't stand me trust me it's okay i probably can't stand you either i don't like you either that's the truth and it's okay i don't have to like you to fight for medicare for all and hope that your family doesn't suffer I can downright think you're a big pile of shit and still want you to have health care. That's the deal. And solidarity is fighting for everyone, not by state. Solidarity is fighting for everyone to have health care. Everyone, not some, everyone. That's solidarity. How dare you co-opt the word solidarity? What, you mean if we don't agree with your 
freaking state-by-state approach, your neoliberal pay-fors, taxes, spaghetti logic, that it's not solidarity? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Solidarity is everyone. That's solidarity. Fist in the air for real. Not this, well, we'll do it in ours. I don't know what to tell you. Alabama, folks, you're just on your own. Florida and DeSantis, you're on your own. Texas, you're on your own. All you stranded blues in Texas, you're on your own. All you folks in Maryland, you're on your own. Michigan, ah, you're on your own. Oh, we, we're in solidarity, though. Solidarity, baby. But we're going to take care of our little teeny hole in the wall. And there'll be, med- you know, health care for some. That's not solidarity. That's neoliberalism, peak neoliberalism. Absolutely peak neoliberalism. So when you think about it, you have to ask yourself, why is Steve, who has entire time you've ever known me, because the only way most of you have known me is by real progressives. How come over the seven years that you've known Steve Grumbine through real progressives, he has always talked about the number one evil to fight back against is neoliberalism. Tell me why that is. Tell me why the only thing you've heard me say, and I've got receipts because I've, you know, I'm not like one of these people that just like joins in and tweets against people and shares in that little bitter little fucking high school logic. I'm going to put him down. I'm going to fight with him on Twitter. I'm just going to say mean things. and I'm going to trash him. Fuck you. Fuck you. There. Got it? Fuck you. For the entire time you've known me or heard of me or anything else, I have not only fought against neoliberalism and teaching people what neoliberalism is and showing the libertarian scourge that is coming into our movement, but I have also fought beyond the borders of the United States. And I have interviewed people from China, from Australia, from England, from Scotland, everywhere around the globe. Africa. And yet, that's not enough, is it? I still have to deal with the Mean Kids Club isolating one guy and shitting on him because you can't defeat my argument. Your worthlessness is founded in your hate for one person. I'm talking policy. You can't do that because your policy doesn't hold up. Your beliefs are based in feels. They're not based in reels. And so I don't sit there and put it on me because I know I'm not the expert. Some asshole, some asshole went around and said, I called myself an economist. Folks, check the tape. I have never, ever called myself an economist in my life. In fact, let me read you my receipts. I have a master of science in technology management. 
I have a master's certificate in strategic management of technology and innovation. I have a master of business administration. I have a bachelor of science in information technology management. I have an IT project management certificate. I am a certified project manager. I am a certified scrum master, and I am certified ITIL version three foundations. That's who I am. I have never claimed to be an economist. So the loser, the neo-maxis and dweeby, the freaking mean girls club, the gossip girls, the gossipy people that did this shit. That's who I am. I am not an economist but I have taken the last 15 fucking years working with economists, learning and reading history and tying an analysis together that goes beyond the veneer of Stephanie Kelton telling you, yes, we should definitely fight at the state level. You should fight at the state level. We all should, but not for state-based Medicare, state-based healthcare but for everyone in solidarity, fist in the air, solidarity for everyone, everyone. I'm an unapologetic leftist. I am not a neoliberal. And so if you are a neoliberal, you'll find us at odds with one another, shall we say. You'll find us at odds with one another if you're a neoliberal. It's just the way it is. There's no getting around it. Neoliberalism is my number one enemy. If you're a neoliberal, you'll fall in that target range. Doesn't mean you are of the enemy. I don't want you to be my enemy, even though I don't like you. I can't stand some of these people. Not because them, I don't even know them. I just know their behavior towards me for bringing this stuff forward. And the people that I do know, I've blocked them. I don't need them in my life. Why would I want them to see pictures of my children? Why would I want them to hear about my life? Why would I want to talk to them? I care about them. I want them to survive. I want them to have health care. I want them to not have student debt, even the people I can't stand. I don't want them to die in wars, even if I don't like them. I want all the leftist values for them that I want for my own life and my own family, even though I can't stand them. I want them to succeed in life. I don't want to hurt them. I just want them to leave me the fuck alone. And if I get where I'm at, saying what I'm saying, pointing fingers, it's not because I gave a shit about them. I'm telling you right now, there is a race to the bottom in the United States. There is a race to the bottom in the United States between the states as they compete for corporations to come in there to give them jobs. And they will slash and they will burn and they will do whatever it takes to lure Amazon into their backyard, to lure eBay into their backyard, to lure Elon Musk or some new college community, some university, as Devarian Baldwin talks about, that will suck up the GDP in the area, gentrify the area, destroy the local community. Or like I've said about Pennsylvania, they will embrace fracking to try to provide for public services. I can't flush my brain down the toilet so I can be simpatico. 
I can't remove and have a lobotomy so that I can sit there and listen to a three-hour explanation from somebody telling me about OCF or some other thing in a very slow, drawn-out way. I can't do it. Sorry. Can't do it. But I can read Warren Mosler's work. I can read Bill Mitchell's work. I can read Randy Ray's work. I can talk to the people like those we talked to at the Medicare for All thing, where we had Ron Gray on a panel for how you're going to pay for it, where we had Yeva talking about how we're going to pay for it, where you had Jeff Ginter talking about how we're going to pay for it. I want you to understand that just because I don't agree with your strategy doesn't mean that what I'm doing is not in solidarity. What is not in solidarity is when I specifically state the reasons why state by state doesn't work and I categorically do it and I bring experts to explain it. You bring Gerald Friedman out, a neoliberal economist, a non-MMT economist, you bring him out to me and you trot that out, my show pony, my sparkle pony. To say, see, Gerald Friedman said, well, you know, Gerald's probably a great guy, probably a decent dancer, maybe a good Parcheesi player, but I'm not listening to him on economics. Why? Because I listened to Warren Mosler and I listened to the MMT community. And if Stephanie, God love her, she's done an awful lot for this movement. And I've, before you all had heard of her, I have been out there, check the tape. I have elevated Stephanie Kelton for as long as any of you have ever heard of me. I have done more. We have given away 400 copies, 400 copies of the deficit myth. We have interviewed people like John Yarmouth. We have talked to all these people, but you think when we tag them, we get even a like out of it? No. We get ignored, and that's okay. That's okay. But what's not okay is casting shade on the work that we're doing, allowing that to stand like somehow or another we're doing something nefarious. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I wake up in the morning, I got to do a freaking hell of a tough job for my day job. Then my son who's autistic, you know, I love him and he needs help, but I take away time from my own son to try and teach people MMT only to get kicked in the nuts by people that are Johnny come lately's that think somehow or another, I was, t- <laughs> I'm the reason why they even heard of MMT, many of them, but yet all of a sudden they've graduated. <laughs> John, so you've graduated. Fine. To each their own. My problem here isn't whether or not you have your little affinity groups. My problem is you shouldn't be kicking us. We're telling the truth. And we've worked hard to get this truth. And if you haven't put that legwork in to understanding what we're talking about, and it's a funding thing mostly, which is what this whole thing for us is about, is understanding not only the legal framework, but also the economic one. Could somebody craft a system 
based on some massively complex, crazy scheme to get a state or two through? Absolutely. There's no question in my mind. There's probably four or five states in this country that their comprehensive annual financial report demonstrates that they have the wherewithal to support something like that. There's no question. This is not an issue of whether some can. Of course, some can. But like I said, with all the talk we've had for the last 30 plus years about marijuana laws, still only 18 states where it's legal out of 50. Guam and D.C. make it 20. That's it. I don't know about you all, but you see those pictures of Cuba where on one side, it's bullshit, but you see how they on one side, they got the rich and the other side, they got the poor. That's what this balkanization's like. This Medicare for some angle is like. Not very 14th Amendment, is it, right? But to say these things kindly, like I could sit there with, with rational people and have an honest debate without it getting nasty. And I could say, listen, you know what? Warren Mosler says that this is a deflationary tactic. And I want to show you this so you know that I'm not making this up. I actually have a clip for you all to hear from Warren Mosler himself. And I did this with him long before I ever heard of anyone knitting berets or any of the other things that come out. So I want you all to be aware. This right here is Warren Mosler talking to me four years ago, a long time ago. That's how long I've been at it and longer. Right? So here we go. Here's Warren Mosler. Uh, now, the other thing I want to say about Medicare for All, which we tried to get through to Bernie Sanders, but without success, obviously, is I see it as a highly deflationary event. So right now I see, I'll just use very, very round numbers, but $3 trillion spent on health care. Out of that, $1 trillion in the private sector is administrative, private sector administration. That's pretty much going to go away if we go Medicare for All. But what does that mean if that spending is goes away? Well, all those those were all salaries going to, you know, people who were like digging one hole and filling in another, which is what private sector, you know, compared with, well, let's let's just say they were doing all the administration work. I'm not saying what they were doing wasn't valuable in its context, but the context had had no value. But anyway, you had a trillion dollars worth of wages and salaries going to people doing administration that aren't going to be there anymore. That's a highly deflationary event. All those people are going to be out of work in the unemployment lines looking for jobs. You don't raise taxes in that context. That makes no sense at all. You'd want to lower taxes or increase public spending somewhere else in that context. Now, yes, there will be other people spending more money to wake up for it, uh, to make up for it. Corporations will have lower healthcare costs, so they may be spending more on something else. People may be getting higher salaries. People will be, you know, have lower um, healthcare costs. There won't be any healthcare premiums if it's Medicare for all, very little. Maybe you get a little bit of Part B or something. But, uh, and so there will be some inflationary biases, but I think the deflationary bias, at least initially, will dominate. So there's absolutely no reason to, to pay for Medicare for all with a tax increase like the Sanders campaign was, was you know, putting out there. And it was a horrible tax. It was a regressive punishing tax, even though it was supposedly on higher incomes. And, and the whole thing was, uh, you know, would have been, 
led to, I think, you know, you know, 15 or 20 percent unemployment. I, I, I was like just categorically against that, you know, raising taxes into a. Now, now that I'm thinking back on the taxes, they attempted it to be progressive. So I, I give them credit for that. But it, it would have wound up increasing unemployment, which is always a regressive phenomenon, uh, you know, dramatically. And it didn't have to be. And think of how much stronger the campaign would have been explaining it. Look, this is a deflationary event. You don't raise taxes for that. You don't pay for it that way. Okay. And you say, well, what about the deficit? You say, look, the, the public debt are the dollars spent by government that haven't yet been used to pay taxes. They sit in the accounts at the Fed called Treasury Securities. You know, what's the problem? Uh, you know, well, the, what if, some, what if, you know, well, in the year 20, 30, you know, the CBO reports the deficit's going to be $11.7 trillion in 20 years. They say, look, you know, if the only problem a deficit deficit spending can cause is inflation. So if there's, so what you do is you look to the long-term inflation forecast, and they'll tell you if you have a deficit problem. Well, the long-term inflation forecasts are the CBO says 2%, the Fed says 2%, and your precious free market treasury index bonds say something less than 2%. Okay. And I don't think 2% is an inflation problem. So what, what what they're telling us is that even with today's budgets, even without making any adjustments at all, you know, we're not going to have an inflation problem, which means somehow, you know, so look, the burden of proof, if you think there's going to be, if you think there's a deficit problem, the burden of proof is on you to show me there's an inflation problem. And so the burden of proof is on you to show me that the Fed, the CBO, and the free market is wrong with their inflation forecast. And if you can do that, fine. Then I'll listen to you and, and you know, take a look at whether or not we have a deficit problem. Okay. All right. So Warren goes on a little bit more about deficits and inflation, but that's not really the point. The point is, is that the federal government straight up can pay for all of this, right? And, but the federal government, here's the kicker. We know the federal government, Joe Biden has not delivered shit, right? For all those people that got a case of the ass with me, when I was talking about, I would rather fight against a common enemy than to be divided by a fake friend. Well, that's the same in this Medicare for all movement too. Okay. That's the same in this movement as well. But the fact is, is that when we sit there and we get divided and splintered up, there's a lot of folks that are back to brunch right now. A lot of brunchers still enjoying the brunch, watching the war from the comforts of their living room with their feet propped up, a nice skinny latte, maybe some avocado toast, looking out at the glorious water through a giant plate glass window, enjoying the finer things in life, while others are suffering immensely from health conditions they can't afford to take care of, and student debt so steep they couldn't dream of getting out of it. And we're supposed to be gentle about that because, after all, it's everyone's right to be aloof. It's everyone's right to lie about what someone's saying and create a false narrative so that you can beat them up and tag team and yeah, 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 and then tag people like Stephanie into the mix. I had no idea. What are you talking about? We had a three-day seminar with 20 hours plus of panels with doctors from national 
uh, physicians for uh, single payer. These people were adamant. They weren't like rank and file street activists. They were doctors. They were experts in their field. And we brought in the people that were experts in how to pay for it. And this isn't a matter of trotting out our experts to match your experts. Let's have an expert-a-thon. It's not about that. It's really about doing the right thing. Because we're trying to all solve this problem. And if we go into it believing that we're all trying to solve this problem, we got a chance. We got a chance. That's not how it's working. In fact, if you don't sign on to state-based approaches, you are considered not in solidarity. You're considered a, a bad person. Never mind the fact that those state-based approaches deviate to a bridge that leads to nowhere. Okay? They're financially unsustainable. They don't have the legal strength to make the kinds of big purchases and regulatory decisions that the federal government has the power and teeth to do. And any failure whatsoever will be used against all future efforts. All future efforts will be used to say, see, your socialism didn't work. It didn't work. The 1% of evil didn't work. And they will use it to great precision. Just think about how many lies pass. As if you get emotional, if you can sit there and make it a personality conflict, I don't like you, I don't like you, then you can eradicate the entire argument that they're making. You can stop being in good faith and stop talking about what they're actually saying, and you can make it a personal thing. And that's what low-rent people do. Low-rent people focus on the individual instead of the policy space. Everything we've done has been policy, and everything we'll continue to do going forward is policy. And if people don't like the policy, if they don't like me calling people that support neoliberalism murderers by policy or murderers by proxy or saying that those individuals pushing neoliberal solutions have blood on their hands, which they do, because there is more death in this world from neoliberalism. Even if you happen to be a hapless person that just doesn't know you're a, you're a closet neoliberal, you don't even realize it. You're contrib- you have blood on your hands. Not knowing ignorance doesn't absolve you from the fact that you've still got blood on your hands. Does it mean you're the one that pulled the trigger? Maybe, maybe not. But it does mean that you contributed even in ignorance. See, Republicans have always used the how you're going to pay for it narrative. And then in recent years, Democrats have even stooped to that trash, like Hillary Clinton. So this how you got to pay for it thing has been front and center blocking us for years, blocking us for years for any meaningful change. So the next thing I'm going to share, and you know, folks, I do not normally do these marathon streams. I just don't care enough to do them. That's not how I do it. So I don't do it. But I'm going to go ahead and share with you 
I'm going to share you the Yeva. Um, I'm not going to make you listen to it. I want you to listen to it. Please go to Macro and Cheese on our website. Pull down the most recent podcast by Yeva Narcissian. It's not the most recent. It's a couple podcasts back, but it's still worth it. And it's on common critiques of MMT. So this right here is a fantastic podcast. If you guys get a chance, please check it out. And as you can tell, we have show notes, we have transcripts, we have extras, and you can download this puppy. But if we go to the transcript, right, I'm going to do a quick search and I'm going to put the word state in there. Let me see if I can find in page. Uh, why are you not letting me find? Oh, there we go. Find in page. We're going to do state. Okay. So there's one version of state. And we come down here, left for the states to do. It's like, so I'm going to read this to you because this is, you can listen to it in the pod itself. But I say, absolutely, infrastructure, the big orange cones in the road, Pennsylvania, famous for its road projects, right? And so when you think about the infrastructure, expanded highways, maybe high-speed rail, different means of transporting goods and services that maybe are off the beaten path, so we're not dealing with major oil spills in places where kids are going to school. Pennsylvania is a perfect example of the very unsexy infrastructure bills that need to be passed but aren't passed. Why are you, what are your thoughts in terms of very bad choices that are left for states to deal with? Since we don't have federal policy nailed down, it seems like we're having to understand the currency issuer, currency user model. What are your thoughts on that? Here we go. Yeva. Yes, that's a very good question. There's a lot of push for states to do things because the federal level things are not working. So in California, for instance, there's been talk of single payer, some kind of Medicare for all. And then, of course, there's all these calculations of how much taxes have to be raised. So even people who actually would support something like Medicare for all, when you see how much taxes would have to be raised to pay for it, then they're turned off by it. So I think it's the wrong approach to send these things to the state. State and local governments are financially constrained, and the move, the more of these liabilities they have, the worse things become in times of recession because they all have these liabilities that might be fixed, and then their revenue starts falling. So then they have to find ways to cut spending. So in general, state and local governments tend to be a recessionary force or a deflationary force in recessions because they have to cut their spending because they have balanced budget amendments and so on. The current COVID situation was unusual in that sense that we did not, we did recognize that there was this issue. And so we did give state and local governments a lot of funds so that they didn't have to do this because otherwise federal government tries to stimulate the economy. But state and local governments are doing the opposite. So they are working in the opposite direction. Folks, she said, I want you to hear this, but state and local governments are doing the opposite. So they are working in the opposite direction. But there is, I think, a bigger problem where if you saddle up a state with these bills and then they cannot pay it, 
then you say, well, you see, this program can't work. It's not doable. And so we cannot even try to do it. Let's say California cannot afford a single payer. Then what are we even talking about at the level of the economy as a whole? This argument is already used when you say Medicare for all, look at France, look at Germany, look at Norway. People say, yeah, but those are smaller countries. Why does it matter? They have a smaller economy, right? And we're a bigger country and we have bigger economy and so on. So I think the same logic could be used here. They would say, well, you see, California couldn't do it. What hope is there for the U.S. as a whole, which of course then doesn't recognize the difference between the currency user and the currency issuer. Folks, that is fucking economist Yeva Narcissian. These parasites are trying to put this on me like I'm making it up, like I'm just some dude doing this. Do you realize how evil, like evil that is? It's not just misguided. I just read to you Yeva's perspective. I could break out Bill Black's. I could break out Fottle Kaboobs. I could play Fottle's video that he did for the Medicare for all, national Medicare for all. I could play the thing he did about the layer cake and how necessary all this stuff is to do at the federal level. I could show you that, but these parasites still point at me. What does that tell you about their desire for healthcare? Do you think they're really dealing in good faith when that is their angle? When I give you this truth, when I show you it, when I read it to you, when I let you hear them say it, and they still focus on me, and they have sympathetic ears from people who should be my ally, but instead are putting their boot on my head. What does that say? What does that say? Huh. I don't know. How would you feel if you invested all of your time without pay, all of your time busting your fucking ass to get this information out there, dealing with people that quit, dealing with people that don't show up and do what, you know, won't volunteer, won't do certain things, getting called a tyrant, getting called all these things, horrible names, evil names, wicked names, but nonetheless focused on me. What do you call that? Obsession? Stage five clinger? What do you call it? I don't know, but I'll tell you what I call it. I call it someone who's treating you like a dog. Someone's treating you like a pile of shit. Now, if I go out there and say something, I'm the bad guy. You see, if I go out there and retaliate, I'm the bad guy. There's no commentary stopping them from doing the things they're doing. There's not one of those people out there saying, what is up with this tweet? Why are you doing that? No, no, they focus on me. They focus on me. It's because they don't have a message. They don't have an actual policy that stands on its own. Now, as somebody that wants them to be successful at the national level, I would do nothing but cheer and be so grateful if that gang of people was able to get us national Medicare for all for all of us. And I'd be even more grateful 
if more people started thinking about the prep work that needs to be done to get the real resources in place. Understanding the layer cake of the Green New Deal and the job guarantee and the need for Medicare for all. If people weren't thinking in orphan politics and started really thinking about the layer cake of what it takes to fight on all fronts, the real fight on all fronts, climate, jobs, healthcare, education, student debt, the real infrastructure, human infrastructure human capital that we need for ourselves to survive. The skills that are needed to survive in this new economy, this new world. Why wouldn't they want that? Why wouldn't they focus on that layer cake? Why wouldn't they? Why would they make me out to be the bad guy? Folks, you don't like me, I'm fine with that. There's a lot of people that don't like me and I've probably been hated by better. Like I said before, I'm in it for the policy. I'm in it because I've been advancing this day in, day out without a day off for years. Since 2009, when I got let go from Verizon and I ran Grumbine's political mosh pit before real progressives even was a twinkle in anyone's eye, I was advancing MMT. Most of these people had never even heard of it. Most of these people never heard of any of these people. We came out like a force of nature with real progressives hitting 30 million a month. 30 million people a month before Facebook closed down on the algorithms. And we were putting out there, taxes don't fund spending at the federal level. And we got trolled and we got doxxed and we got trashed then too. So like I said, it's a long line of people from day one when we dropped the truth bombs out there that have been trashing me. And I still keep going. Not for you. For my, be selfish. For my own family. I want to survive. I want them to survive. I want them to have the things that we need to survive. And I'm willing to take the bullets from these parasites that can't focus on policy, but instead make it a bitch session about me. If that's what their organization is about, about not being Steve, it's not a very good organization, is it? Focus on your fucking policy. That's what you do. You focus on your fucking policy and you get so good at your policy that you can debate someone literally. And if your ideas are better, then great. We should go with the best ideas. But if your ideas are proven to be wrong, really, really super important that you not put the feels in there, that the feels get trashed, they get thrown out the window and we focus on the facts. I don't care what elite people don't like me. I really don't. And I don't care what regular people like myself feel, whether they like me or not either. I mean, I'm happy to have friends. I always want friends. But I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to change the truth. I'm not going to do anything like that to maintain a friend. 
I recognize I'm going to have to die someday. It might be sooner than later with the way healthcare is right now. And I want to be able to die with my boots on. You know what I'm saying? I want to go down fighting. So I know that I'm doing this for the generation that precedes me, comes after me, whatever, because it's probably not going to happen in my lifetime, unfortunately, though I want it to. I, need, I really want it to. But I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for my kids. And they might hate me too. Divorce is a son of a bitch, right? But I want you to be aware. I want you to be aware. That I want us all to have Medicare for all. I want us to have better than Medicare. I really do want. I want health care as a right. I don't even want to call it Medicare. I, I really almost hate the name Medicare at this point. I just want health care as a right. National Health Service built to support the needs of everyone. But instead, we're in the bomb-making business. Instead, we've got people out there trolling people like myself who are taking it for a national angle and saying, look, here's why the state-based approach doesn't work. I'm not making it up. We've documented our case. Several writers on our team have documented the case. Many experts have documented it. And just the other day, Stephanie Kelton said that a master's student had a paper that would come out in a couple months talking about some of the stuff. They're like, oh, we'll be looking forward to it. Well, I'll be looking forward to it too. I, I, I would love to see this new MMT insight that shows us that the currency issue or currency user dynamic is not really relevant here, that we can do something different that provides us all health care. I'd love that. That's what it takes, sure. But in good faith, in very good faith, I have worked tirelessly to learn whatever I've learned, whether it's all right, whether it's all wrong, whether you think I'm an idiot, whether you think I'm a loser, whatever you want to call me, whether you don't like my eyebrows, you don't like my voice, think I'm too alpha, you think I'm a dick, you think I'm what? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm fighting for what I believe to be true, and I can back my shit up. And if you can refute my shit, if the, what I'm bringing forward, if you can debunk Yeva, if you can debunk Fottle, if you can debunk Bill Black, if you can debunk Warmos, or if you can debunk Bill Mitchell, if you can debunk Larry, um, uh, yeah, Larry Summers, there you go. If you can debunk Randy Ray, Please, I would love for you to do that. I would love that if you can do that. That would be a pretty amazing if you could do that. It would be stunningly amazing if you could do that. So, uh, yeah, you know, my goal here showing you this stuff is to make you think to not get into tribal by tribal i mean balkanized little group a group b we're gonna fight you you're gonna fight you nyeh, nyeh, nyeh. stop that shit you're if you're a teenager hey man you gotta act like a teenager i get it i was a teenager too at one point fucking be a teenager but if you're growing up yeah Maybe skip that part. 
maybe skip that part. Maybe skip that part. Yeah. Anyway, the fact of the matter is, is that we're going to continue pushing national. And we have a lot of resources on our website. The podcasts are extremely explicit. We go through a lot of detail. When we finally cut up the videos from this past weekend, and you get to hear the panels that I was on, you can listen to it. See if I made a good point. See if you agree with me. If you agree with me, great, let me know. If you disagree with me, I'm interested in hearing what about what I said is incorrect. And I'm looking for proof, not your opinion. I'm looking for you to disprove what I've said. I don't really want to hear what you think about me as a person. I don't care. There you go. I don't care. Sorry. You might want me to care, but I don't care. So, well, right? Yeah, whatevs. As the kids say, evs, right? This beard is gray now from dealing with all this bullshit for years. I'm just looking for results now. And if you have the results, I'll go with your plan. If your results are state-based and everyone doesn't get it, we ain't fighting for the same thing. So you'll forgive me if I say no. Sorry. With that, I'm out of here. The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash realprogressives.